Thanks, Greg, and thanks to Pastor Scott for taking some, taking some time off, giving some of us amateurs a chance to be in the pulpit, and um, thanks to Greg and Roy for extending this invitation to me to preach this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Exodus chapter 32, we're going to look at 32, 33, 34, and see the story of a fitting passage for Father's Day, wayward children and the gracious Father. Now, I've been a dad for 15 years, so we've got it all figured out. So that's why I'm up here this morning. Um, so you would spend about 30 seconds with my wife and kids and realize that that was a big lie. But I do know a few things, and so um, I'm going to tell you all I know about fatherhood. So I got five fun facts about fatherhood. Number one, your jokes aren't funny. So in 2019, the phrase dad joke became entered into the lexicon of American English. And if you don't know what a dad joke is, well, I have a Sunday morning one for you. Where do you go to learn to make a banana split? Sunday school. That's right. So that one made you cringe, and it made your three-year-old laugh. So that is a dad joke. If you cringe when you hear it, but you also kind of want to laugh, it's a dad joke. So that's about how funny we are. Also, fact number two about fatherhood, your dance moves are lame. So my girls and I were able to go to a father-daughter dance in Istanbul a couple years ago. Some of our mom friends there in the city put it on. And so we had all these, you know, American missionary dads and their kids, and the dads are middle age, and they have suits that they wore at a funeral 10 years ago, and so they all dressed up, and, you know, the daughters danced to, what does the fox say? That song, you know, and the dads tried to do something that looks like this, and it was awkward for us. Our daughters are too young to know that it was awkward, but it's awkward. Number three, your music is only for your ears. Yeah. So we're in the car often and we'll get in, ready to go somewhere, and our kids will say, put some music on. Mom, Dad, can you put some music on? And so, you know, I'll scroll through the Amazon Prime playlist and I'll hit 90s country. And they're like, oh, no. One of our girls aptly said several months ago as I'm listening to 90s country, she was like, all these songs are just about a boy who likes a girl and drives a truck down a dirt road. I think Nashville would be offended, and I was too. Number four, this one might hurt. Your wife is not impressed. So when you... Take your shirt off and want to flex? She doesn't want to see that. Really, no one else does either. Um, so no one's buying tickets to the gun show. Um, the phrase dad bod also came into, into the lexicon about the same time the dad joke did. And so dads, yeah, we're getting a hard, getting a hard rap lately. 
But you know what, guys? Number five fun fact about fatherhood. Your efforts are not in vain. You're making memories. Your kids will remember the dad who was telling some corny jokes and who showed up and stayed there and listened to his weird music. And so your efforts aren't in vain. But what dad needs most is not maybe a new coffee mug that says world's greatest dad or a new dance move. Um, What dad needs most and what all of us need most is a better understanding of our heavenly father. And so my preface, my disclaimer this morning is that I don't have it figured out. I don't have all the tips on fatherhood or how to be a great husband or how to lead your family well, but I do have the blueprint, as our VBS lesson said. And so I want us to look this morning at the story of wayward children and the gracious father. Exodus 32, the little preface to this uh, passage is that Moses went up on the mountain to meet with the Lord, and the Lord was revealing to him the Ten Commandments and the law. And Moses was away for 40 days. And when Moses came back, this story begins just before he returns. Exodus 32, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up of the land of Egypt. I want to ask you this morning to first see yourself in this story. Maybe you see yourself here as a child. See, what Moses did was he left the children unattended. I don't know if you've ever left your children unattended or you've ever been an unattended child. But sometimes that leads to trouble. Um, I can identify with this story. Whether it was stealing some cigarettes from my grandmother... And nearly catching the woods on fire. Well, actually, they did catch on fire. And her and my uncle put it out with a bucket or two. Um, yeah, whether it was jumping off the side of the house and biting a hole through my tongue. Um, or whether it was in the Winn-Dixie parking lot when my mom went in to get a gallon of milk. And I found the keys in her purse. And she came out of the Winn-Dixie and found her car Blocking the middle lane of traffic into the grocery store. Because I didn't know how to drive. And I did put it in reverse accidentally. So, um, yeah. Moses left the people unattended, the children unattended for 40 days. And they went astray. Commandment number one, have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, don't make an idol. They did both of those before Moses even came down and showed them the tablets. Verse 19 and 20 in this passage, you see what happens next when Moses returns. It says, As soon as he came near the camp, 
and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire, ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the people Israel drink of it. So do you identify here as Moses? The phrase here in Hebrew, his anger burned hot, literally means his Nose became red. His face became hot. So Moses became red in the face, hot with anger, and he smashed the tablets. You might say, that's righteous anger. They committed idolatry. They built an idol. They're worshiping a calf. But he smashed The tablets that the Lord had revealed to him on the mountain. That the Lord had engraved himself with his words. His reaction was anger. He smashed those tablets. So we identify maybe with the children, maybe with Moses. Or maybe we need to identify with the intercession that happens in chapter 33. Verse 13 of chapter 33. Moses After he realizes the extent of the people's sin, what has occurred, what God may do to them, he intercedes on their behalf. And he says, now therefore, he prays to the Lord, asking him not to wipe out the people. He says, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. The Lord said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses says in verse 18, please show me your glory. So we need to see ourselves in the story. We need to identify and we need to intercede. So we identify when your child is disobedient. Remember your disobedience. Your wayward child days. Or maybe your current Days of disobedience. And intercede on their behalf. Maybe kids, mom, when dad's anger burns hot. Remember your disobedience. Or your times of anger. And intercede on his behalf. We need to see ourselves in the story. And then Moses said there at the end, he asked the Lord, show me your glory. So that's where we need to go next. Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, the Lord appears to Moses. Moses asked, God, I need to see you. Sin has occurred. You're about to wipe out this people. I need to see you. Because what he realized is what he needed most at that moment was a better understanding of his heavenly father. What the people Israel, the children of Israel needed most was a better understanding of their father. And so the Lord reveals himself to Moses. Verse 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, Keeping steadfast love and for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty. So we need to set our standard right there at God's glory. See, the world has lots of standards of fatherhood and motherhood, how to be good parents, how to lead a family well. And those aren't necessarily our standards. I said earlier, dads had fallen on hard times, but it's not a new thing. We just turn on primetime TV. And the worldly standard or the worldly caricature of fatherhood is this. It's Al Bundy, the, dad, the deadbeat dad. Or it's Ray Romano, the goofball dad. Or it's Homer Simpson, the doof dad. Or it's Phil Dunphy, the clueless dad. In Turkey, we had a couple of caricatures of men in the culture. And if you were a guy who washed dishes occasionally or took out the trash or prepared a meal or in any way, shape, or form were involved in the rearing of your children, then the Turkish culture would consider that a light erkek. Erkek's the word for man. So a light man. And they get the word light from Diet Coke. Diet Coke in Europe and most of the world is not called diet. It's called light, cola light. And so you're a light version of a man. You're the diet version of a man if you're involved at all. And then the other side of that pendulum is the tashferin, and so the brick oven. So where they make all the bread, this brick oven. So that's the other, the, the image of man that you need to be is a brick oven, hard-nosed and hot with anger. That's the right way to be. And the world's standard for dad changes about every week, and the standard for mom changes about every week. It blows with the wind. So we don't want the world's standard. God should be our standard. So we set our standard by God's glory. So let's break this down, Exodus 34. Look at these characteristics of God that are presented here. First, the God is, he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Merciful means he doesn't give us the punishment that we deserve. Gracious means he gives us the favor that we don't deserve then it says he's merciful and gracious he is slow to anger this is the one thing I remember from Hebrew class this is one of my favorite phrases in scripture to describe God that he's slow to anger because that's not what it says in Hebrew in Hebrew it says God is long of nose like Pinocchio God has a really long nose. Why does it say that? Because this word nose is also face. He has a long face. But in English, to have a long face means you're sad. But remember Moses when he smashed those tablets on the ground? It said his face grew hot with anger. That's the Hebrew translation. That Moses' face became hot. And so if God has a long nose... It means it takes a long time for his face to turn red. Our translation of that in English should be, he has a long fuse. Because we know what it looks like to have a short fuse, to have a quick temper. 
But God's fuse is long. It takes him a really long time. We know that because we're all still here. Because we aren't wiped out yet. It's testimony to the fact that God's nose is long. His fuse is long. He is patient with us. He is slow to anger. Then it says he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We're going to come back to that one, the next section. And then also, he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Faithfulness means that he's reliable when we are fickle. He is true. The word faithfulness also can be translated. He is true. He is truth. He is true when we are full of falsehood, full of sin, and full of lies. And the next, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So God is forgiving. And he's not just forgiving of some things. There's, anytime you see repetition in scripture, it's a key to say, hey, there's emphasis here. We need to camp on this. He's forgiving of iniquity, transgression, and sin. All three different words to describe the same thing. Because our sin is so rampant. There's so many different ways we break God's law. Whether we think it's a little sin or a big sin, it's all sin. And God is forgiving of all types and all manner, all kinds of sin. And his love is for thousands. So he's forgiving of many. And then finally it says he will not clear the guilty. Some translations say, and he will by no means clear the guilty. We say, wait, that's not true. What do you mean he'll by no means clear the guilty? Christ died for us. He died on the cross to take away our sins. And so we're no longer plagued with guilt and sin if we have put our trust in Jesus. So why would it say he'll by no means clear the guilty? But he'll visit, it says, the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children. Wow, that sounds like an angry and mean God. Why would he do that? That's not who we know God to be. But if we look at the cross, that is exactly what God has done. He by no means cleared the guilty. He punished Christ for our guilt. That's why Christ died to take on our son, our sin. So God is just. There will be consequences for our action. There will be consequences sometimes that we feel in this life. And there are consequences eternally. So we've put our trust in Jesus. Christ has taken that for us. If we don't put our trust in Jesus, we will be punished eternally for our sin. So that's the standard that we should set for ourselves. We set our standard by God's glory. So I said earlier, we don't want the world's standard. That's right, we don't. We want God's standard, right? But guess what? We cannot match the God's standard. We can't live up to it. If you said to be a good mom, to be a good dad, to be a good son, to be a good daughter, to be a good neighbor, friend, aunt, uncle, cousin, grandma, grandpa, whatever your role is, to be, to be right, then you should be merciful and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and forgiving. It should be all of those things. You will not live up. You can't do it. So we're stuck. <laughs> but that should be our standard. Well, we see our solution 
and the Father's love. Let's read this passage again. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, a gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Stop right there. Abounding in steadfast love, and his steadfast love is for thousands. We should see our solution in the Father's love. This word that's translated loving kindness in some Bibles or, trans, or steadfast love in others is the Hebrew word hesed. It appears over and over and over in the Old Testament in descriptions of God's loving kindness or God's graciousness or God's compassion for us. The best translation I've ever found of this word is not in the ESV or the KJV or the NIV or the NLT, the HCSB. There's this little book called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it goes from Genesis to Revelation, about 40 or 50 stories telling the story of, of God. Children's book. If you have little kids, it's great. If you have big kids, it's great. We read it. Over and over, many times in our household, we have one that's just falling apart. And I'm thankful for it. And so the translation of this phrase that we see throughout that little book is, God's loving kindness is His never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. And this is not some romantic type love. This is God's behavior towards his people. He never stops. We see the people Israel over and over and over and over and over again run away from God, disobey him, break his commandments. He forgives them. He sets them on a new path. He brings a plague upon them. He brings disaster upon them. He forgives them. He sets them on a new path. He sends prophets after them. He reveals his word to them. And they over and over and over disobey him but he never stops he never gives up it's always and forever it's abounding Exodus 34 6 says abounding in steadfast love he's keeping it for thousands phrase there to mean it's for numerous people so God's love extends to us even today as we have over and over and over Broken his law, broken his commands, turned aside, and we have been the wayward children. John 15:9, one of our VBS verses, says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So that's why we can see our solution in the Father's love. Because Jesus says to his disciples, Look, God loved me, he sent me, and so in that way I have loved you. That should actually be the testimony that we strive for. That we love those around us the same way that Jesus did. We love those around us the same way the Father has loved us. So should we be able to say to those in our family, in our friendship, in our neighbor relationships, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. We see our solution there in the Father's love. We attempt to love like He loves and we run to Him, run to His love, 
when we realize we won't match up. You can go to the bookstore and buy a book on fatherhood or motherhood, being a good kid, being a good family member, a good co-worker, a good employee, a good employer. You get lots of skills, go to a conference, go to a retreat. You maybe heard sermons on the five tips of being a great person, great human, upstanding citizen. But what we need is not a new skill set. What we need is character change. We need to trade our skills for his character. When you look at this right here, this passage, when Moses says, show me your glory, God doesn't say, I'm omnipotent, I'm all-powerful, I'm all-knowing, I'm omnipresent. Fifty big seminary words. It's not what he says. He shows him his character. He shows him what he is like, how he interacts with his people. So we see our solution, the Father's love. His love is steadfast when you're unkind. His nose is long when your temper runs short. He stands ready to offer mercy, grace, and forgiveness when you're ready to confess your transgression and your sin. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That is an example for the world to see. If we set our standard by God's glory and we live our lives in that way, then the world will notice. One of my best friends in the world is a man named Dilaver. Um, he worked for us in Turkey for about the last 15 years probably, doing work on houses, painting, plumbing, electrical work, fixing stuff with super glue and baking soda. That's his version of WD-40 and duct tape. And um, he's been... You know, I spent countless hours in a van with him, traveling around the city or in an apartment with him, fixing stuff underneath a sink or holding a paint roller. Delaware didn't grow up with a great family. When he was very young, he saw his father murder his stepmother. He witnessed it as a child. And so then he became a child of the state and grew up in a orphanage, a boarding school, and then he, he left at about 16 and began to work on his own. And he's often said to me, you know, I don't have a great vision of family, I don't have a great idea what a good dad or mom looks like, I don't have a, really any picture of how that should, should look. But he said countless times to me, Jeff, you know, it's a real blessing that I've had, it's it." I count it as a blessing, as just a gift that I've been able to spend so many years in and out of houses of people like you guys, not me particular, but the Christian community of expatriate workers there in Turkey. He's been in their houses when they're having dinner, when they're disciplining their children, when they're putting kids to bed, when they're sending people out the door to go to school. When mom and dad are having a difficult discussion, he's been there. Whether he's sitting down to dinner with them or packing up his tools or trying to keep the water from leaking. 
out from under the sink. And he's seen stressful situations, and he says it's a blessing. He said, because I've seen what, what a real family is, what family should look like, how husbands and wives should interact with one another, and how moms and dads should interact with kids. I've, I've got to witness that, and I've got to watch that. That's not a testimony to how great the IMB workers are in Turkey. That's a testimony to God's grace and goodness in that man's life. That's a testimony of how God uses our feeble attempts to set our standard at his glory to present his glory to those who don't know him. And so... This is important, not just because your family's watching, because the world is watching. So, when you read the story of wayward children and the gracious father, you see yourself in the story. Identify there. Set your standard by God's glory and see your solution in the father's love. I've got some practical steps for you, some take-home words. And I want to say, first of all, every time I get an opportunity to preach the word, I am convicted personally of things that I need to do differently. And so, these are maybe for me more than for you. One, admit your weakness. Say things like, I was wrong. That wasn't kind. Or I'm sorry. Those are tough words. Ask for help. And that's it's not part of my personality. It's not usually a, a manly thing to do, ask for help. It's not a dad moment usually, but ask for help. Moses interceded for the people of Israel. So maybe we should try. Try praying for your kids, for your marriage, for your spouse, for your neighbor's kids, for their marriage. For your aunts, your uncles, your cousins. Pray for your co-workers. It doesn't matter where you are. Maybe you say, I'm not a parent. Or, it doesn't matter what role you're in. I'm not speaking just to dads this morning. All of us are in a horizontal and vertical relationship with someone. There are people beside us, above us, and below us. And so, pray for God's grace in your life and theirs. So admit our weakness, ask for help, and adopt his ways, these ways of God that we've seen. So maybe, maybe give them five more minutes, as that country song says. <laughs> maybe allow them one more chance, because you know you've had a lot of chances. And try to smile at the broken plate a few weeks ago, we are having dinner at Kurt and Marsha's house, and everybody's trying to get around the table to get some food on their plate, and one of our kids runs up to the table and reaches in to get a ladle to get something, one hand here, full plate here, one ladle here, heavy plate here, and it crashed. It hit the table, it hit the chair, it hit the floor, we got fruit, we got meat, we got bread, we got veggies, we got it all on the table, on the chair, and on the floor, and we got pieces of plate everywhere. And right here, right here, this guy, he's thinking, 
what were you thinking? I mean, why didn't you just wait your turn? Or why are you in such a rush? Or can't you slow down? Or why didn't you hold it with two hands? Or I have all these ideas going on right here that I just want to bleh. <laughs> and before I could throw up my words, Marsha steps in and said, Oh, it's fine. Look, at nobody cares. This floor is old. I don't like this tile anyway. And Oh, this table's sticky all the time anyway. It doesn't matter. And these plates, these plates have got scratches on them and cracks in them. I've been telling Kurt for years we need a new plates. This is an excuse for me to get some new plates. It's just a broken plate. It does not matter. So, yeah. Maybe smile at the broken plate. And the last one, well, I'm down here at the serious spot. Because that's what you do at the end. You walk down here, you get real serious. <laughs> so all the dads need to look at me right now. What do I write down? Keep being goofy. Keep it up. Dance, your goofy dance. When you pick your kids up from school, roll down the window, crank up some guns and roses, and embarrass them. When you eat a good dinner and your dad bod is going, your belly's sticking out, then stand back like this. Say, hey, honey, look at that. Or if you go to the gym and you're feeling nice and swole after you work out, you got a good pump, then say, hey, honey, welcome to the gun show. It's worth it. You're making memories. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love towards us. Father, we thank you for your word. It is our blueprint. It is a treasure. Father, it does show us our sin. Shows us our weakness. Shows us our need for you, Father. And thank you for this great revelation of your glory, of your character, of who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you're gracious, you're merciful, you're compassionate, you're loving, you're, you're steadfast in your love, you're faithful, you don't give up, that you forgive our sin, Lord. May we act the same way that, with others as you've acted with us. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because of the work on the cross, that sin has been punished, you are just, but we have been set free. It's in his name we pray.